0: It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June thirtieth, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available brave Nancy Drew has a plan to help Laura Pendleton. She tried to confront Jacob Aborn, Laura's cruel guardian, but she didn't learn much from him. Nancy still feels there's something she could do. So, with her detective instincts on high alert, she decides to stealthily investigate Jacob Aborn's bungalow. And, while she's in the vicinity, She wants to do a bit of sleuthing in that old abandoned bungalow down the road. It's a very risky situation. Will Nancy escape unhurt? Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew Mystery Stories The Bungalow Mystery Chapter 13 A Narrow Escape As Nancy Drew crouched in the dark closet, she heard the door slam and knew that someone had entered Laura Pendleton's room. At first, in an agony of suspense, the girl remained motionless in her hiding place. But presently, as the closet door was not opened, her curiosity gained the upper hand. Cautiously, she peeped out through the keyhole. It was Jacob Aborn who had entered. She saw that he had placed an oil lamp on the desk and was busy at Lara's dressing table. Apparently, he had not heard Nancy, for he did not glance toward the closet. Ruthlessly, the man jerked out drawers from the dressing table and emptied the contents upon the bed. As he surveyed the assortment of bottles and boxes, he gave a disgusted grunt. What was he looking for? Nancy wondered. She was not left in doubt long for Jacob Aborne muttered to himself, "Drap that girl, she got away with all them jewels. Wait till I get hold of her again." His fists clenched, and a vicious, cruel expression settled over his face as Nancy drew gazed upon Jacob Aborne. There was no longer any doubt in her mind as to the character of the man; he was a common thief. It was now clear to her that his sole interest in Lara was to get possession of her property. Only her opportune escape from the house had prevented him from stealing her mother's jewels. Nancy was frightened by her discovery, for now she realized that she was dealing with a hardened criminal. She dared not think of what might become of her should he learn that she was spying upon him. "'How did he ever get to be Lara's guardian?' she asked herself in bewilderment. "'I can't believe that Mrs. Pendleton knew his true character, "'or she wouldn't have entrusted her daughter to him.' Her thoughts along that line came to an abrupt end as the man moved toward the closet. Fearfully, Nancy ducked down behind Lara's dresses again and prayed that she would not be discovered. "'The closet door was jerked violently open,' and Jacob Aborn looked in. Nancy held her breath, each minute expecting to be dragged from her hiding place. The man gave the closet only a casual glance, and then turned away. Bah! he muttered savagely. Nothing but clothing. A lot of good that'll do me. It's money I want. The man was about to close the closet door when he came to a sudden pause. Might be a good thing to look over some of these clothes, he murmured. She may have left something hidden there. Can't tell what girls are up to these days. Nancy's heart sank within her, because she felt that if the man took down any of the dresses behind which she was hidden, she would surely be discovered. She hardly dared breathe, as she wondered what would happen next. The man took down the first dress within reach and stepped out to examine it in the light. He found nothing in the garment, and threw it rudely over a chair. Then he came back to the closet. As he reached in, Nancy felt that discovery was close at hand. She wondered whether she could dash past the man, down the stairs, and get out of the building before he could grab her. Before he could get hold of the next garment, an interruption occurred. There was a loud noise downstairs which made both the man and Nancy start in surprise. What in thunder was that muttered Jacob Aborne. He was evidently much disturbed, and turning abruptly, he ran out into the hall. Then Nancy heard him going down the stairs. The girl thought of the window in the rose trellis. Could she make her escape that way during Aborne's absence? Before she could make up her mind, she heard the man returning. Confound those screens on hinges, she heard him mutter. That's the second time they've scared me. Bah, I must be getting nervous. The trip downstairs had evidently put Jacob Aborn in a worse humor than ever. He walked to the closet and surveyed the remaining dresses in disgust. Guess I won't bother with them, the girl heard him remark. Slamming the door, he turned and walked over to the desk. As Nancy again peered out through the keyhole, she felt a trifle weak from the fright she had experienced. That was a narrow escape, she told herself. I thought the jig was up. Unaware that he was being watched, Jacob Aborn began pawing over the papers which were in the desk. Picking up a package of letters, he scanned them hastily, and contemptuously tossed them upon the floor. It was with difficulty that Nancy controlled her anger as she saw the man read Lara's private correspondence. She longed to fly out at him and accuse him face to face. However, she was far too wise to allow herself to be governed by a mad impulse. She must bide her time. After a few minutes, her limbs became cramped, she shifted her position. To her horror, a board creaked underfoot. Nancy felt that all was lost as she again ducked behind the dresses. Jacob Aborn heard the noise and wheeled about. He walked toward the closet. Halfway across the room, he paused and laughed shortly. Ha! Huh, couldn't have been anything, he muttered. Just looked in that closet not more than a minute ago. Without troubling himself to pick up the articles he had scattered over the floor, the man took the lamp and left the room. In relief, Nancy Drew stepped from her hiding place. I suppose I'd better skip while I can, she advised herself. She tiptoed across the room to the window, but did not open it. Instead, she stood lost in deep thought. Although Nancy realized full well the danger of remaining longer in the house, she had the instincts of a detective. So long as there was a chance that she might learn more by waiting, she hesitated to leave. She could hear Jacob Aborn descending the stairs to the first floor. I'll not leave yet, she decided firmly. Softly opening the door, she crept down the carpeted hall, After listening a minute, she quietly slipped down the stairway, taking care not to step in the middle of the boards, lest they squeak and betray her presence. Reaching the living room, she paused to listen. She could hear Jacob Aborn moving about in the kitchen. Overcome by curiosity, she tiptoed to the door. If only some errand would take him outside, she thought hopefully. Her wish was gratified, for presently the man picked up a water bucket and left the house. Taking advantage of the opportunity, Nancy darted into the kitchen and hid in the broom closet. She marveled at her own bravery, for she knew that she was taking a great risk. Nevertheless, she was determined to discover what Jacob Aborn was about. In a few minutes, the man returned with the bucket of water. To Nancy's disappointment, he picked up a basket of groceries on the table and began to prepare his supper. The air in the closet became unpleasantly warm and close, and she began to regret that she had sought the hiding place. However, her interest quickened as she saw Lara's guardian wrap up a number of sandwiches, an orange, and an apple in a newspaper. There, that's ready for tomorrow. She heard him mutter. Placing the bundle on the kitchen table, the man sat down and began to eat his supper. In fascination, Nancy stared at the bundle on the table. What could it mean? She recalled that Lara had told her that she had frequently seen her guardian leave the house with a small package. Did Jacob Aborn always carry food in the bundle? If so, what became of it? Nancy Drew was puzzled. And the more she tried to think of an explanation, the more bewildered she became. Certainly, she had stumbled upon a mystery. That man was carrying a bundle today when I saw him walking through the forest, she reasoned. Then, when he caught me looking through the window of the deserted bungalow, the bundle was gone. I believe it'll be worth my while to have another look at that bungalow. Now that she had stumbled upon what she considered a valuable clue, Nancy Drew was eager to get away from the house. But so long as Jacob Aborn remained in the kitchen, she was held a prisoner. Impatiently, she watched him eat his supper, and it seemed to her that he would never get through. Even after he had finished, he leaned back in his chair and studied the floor meditatively. The expression upon his face was not pleasant to behold. I'll venture he's cooking up some dirty scheme, Nancy told herself. At last, the man pushed back his chair and picked up the oil lamp. May as well get busy, he grunted. I've got a big night before me. Leaving the bundle upon the table, he turned and left the kitchen. A few minutes later, Nancy heard him trudging heavily up the staircase. Now what shall I do, she asked herself in perplexity, as she came out of the closet. Escape was a simple matter, for the kitchen door had been left unlocked. However, Nancy was not altogether certain that she wished to leave the house so soon. Jacob Aborn's last statement held her interest. What did he mean by a big night before him? Was he planning more mischief? Nancy Drew determined to wait and find out. Chapter 14 Startling Revelations Stealing quietly into the living room, Nancy Drew paused at the foot of the stairway. Although eager to find out what Jacob Aborn was doing on the floor above, she told herself that it would be rash to follow him there. While she was debating what to do, she heard a creaking of boards and realized that the man was coming back. Hastily ducking down out of sight behind the Davenport, she waited. She was no longer afraid she would be discovered, for she had noticed that Jacob Aborn was too absorbed in his own plans to be observant. If she kept perfectly quiet, she did not believe that she would be detected. The man came slowly down the stairs, dragging two heavy suitcases, dropping them upon the living-room floor he opened the lids and surveyed the contents critically his back was to the davenport and nancy daringly peeped out she saw that the suitcases were packed with wearing apparel however it was not the clothing but rather a gruesome object on top of one of the bags that held her attention jacob aborn carried a weapon and a wicked-looking one at that. Nancy Drew shuddered and almost regretted that she had not escaped when it was possible. Fastening down the covers of the luggage, Jacob Aborn locked the suitcases and strapped them. There, that job is done, he muttered when he had finished. Nothing like being prepared. They'll never catch Stumpy asleep. The name burned itself into Nancy Drew's brain. Stumpy? what could it mean he had called himself by a name which was suggestive of the underworld as nancy stared at him she became convinced that he was a professional crook lara was indeed under the control of a dangerous guardian her reflections were cut short when jacob aborn placed the suitcases against the wall and turned toward a small safe in one corner of the room In amazement, Nancy watched him work at the dial. After he had made several unsuccessful attempts to open the door, it finally swung open. With a grunt of satisfaction, the man removed several packages of bank bills. His eyes became greedy and gloating as he gazed upon the money. Nancy had no way of telling the denomination of the bills, but she felt certain that Jacob Aborn held a small fortune in his hands. Where had he secured the money, and what did he mean to do with it? I may as well leave it here until tomorrow, the man grunted. He placed the neat packages of money back in the safe and, closing the heavy door, turned the dial. Then with a tired yawn, he moved toward the staircase. Guess I'll turn in. Gotta be up early tomorrow he climbed the stairs, carrying the light with him. Nancy heard him enter a bedroom and slam the door. Soon the house became quiet. Slipping noiselessly from her hiding place, Nancy drew tiptoed toward the kitchen. Due to an oversight, the back door had been left unlocked and opened readily. With a sigh of relief that she had at last escaped unharmed from the house, Nancy stepped out into the night. It was very dark, for there was no moon. She crossed the clearing and rapidly set off through the forest, using her flashlight to guide her steps. Her adventures were beginning to tire her, and before she knew it, she took a wrong path and presently brought up in the midst of some bushes and rocks. My gracious, this isn't right, she told herself. Why... I really believe I've lost myself. She turned the flashlight downward and saw before her a spring of water. A tin cup was on a nearby rock. Well, anyway, here's where I can get a drink, she told herself, and goodness knows I'm thirsty enough. The water was clear and cool, and the drink refreshed Nancy very much. Placing the cup where she had found it, she retraced her steps and after a few minutes of walking, found the spot where she had gone wrong. With more care, she set off through the forest. It was dark and silent, and she could not repress a feeling of intense loneliness as she proceeded. A few minutes later, she reached the roadster, which she had hidden behind a clump of bushes. As she climbed in and sank back against the cushions, she considered her next move. Until now, she had had no time to work out a plan of action of one thing she was certain: Jacob Aborn was a criminal. She was convinced that he intended to run away from Melrose Lake for otherwise he would not have packed his suitcases. Undoubtedly, he intended to take the money which was in the safe with him. Nancy had no proof that it did not belong to him, but in her mind. There was a growing suspicion that he might have stolen it from Laura Pendleton's estate. At least he won't try to get away tonight, she reasoned, because he's gone to bed, and he said something about needing that bundle of food tomorrow. Nancy was at a loss to know what to do next. Although convinced that Jacob Aborn was a criminal, she was well aware that she had no evidence against him. In court it would merely be her word against his, and if it came to that, she would be embarrassed to explain her presence in the house. I must get definite proof, she thought. Groping for an idea, she again thought of the old bungalow in the woods. I'm sure it has some connection with the mystery, she reasoned. While Jacob Aborn is out of the way, I'll do a little sleuthing. To think was to act with Nancy Drew, and it required but a few minutes for her to drive the distance from Jacob Aborn's residence to the deserted bungalow. Although the night was dark, she found the side road without difficulty. Halting the car in the bushes, she picked up her flashlight and started toward the bungalow. Not without misgiving, she pushed through the forest. I hope my flashlight doesn't play out, she worried. I'll never find the bungalow if it does. There was no path leading through the woods, but Nancy was fairly certain of her directions. Soon she stepped out into a tiny clearing and directly ahead saw the old bungalow. Hurrying across the open space, she paused in front of the building. It was dark and silent but as she gazed upon it, an uneasy feeling took possession of her. Her inner self seemed to warn her not to enter the bungalow. This is no time to hesitate, she told herself sternly. If Jacob Aborn is to be caught, I must gather my evidence tonight. Tomorrow he may skip out. As Nancy moved toward the rear of the bungalow, she glanced down at her flashlight and was alarmed to see that it was beginning to grow dim. Just my luck to have it go out when I need it the most, she thought in disgust. In an attempt to save the battery, she switched off the light. As her eyes became accustomed to the dark, she was able to see a little. Nancy was determined to effect an entrance, but just how it could be accomplished, she did not know. A tour of the bungalow revealed that All of the doors were locked. This she had expected. The boards had fallen from one of the windows, the one through which she had peered that afternoon when surprised by Lara's guardian. However, the window was high above her head, and even if she stood on a box, she doubted that she could raise herself to the ledge. Undaunted, she examined the other windows, and on the south side of the bungalow, found one which opened from a porch. It was boarded up, and her efforts to dislodge the barrier were futile. Resistance only whetted Nancy Drew's desire to enter the bungalow, and at once she began searching the yard for something with which to pry. After an unsuccessful hunt, she was forced to switch on her flashlight for a few minutes until she found a stout stick which would serve her purpose. Wedging it in between the boards, she pried with all her might. For a moment, the first board offered stubborn resistance, and then, with a groan and a squeak, gave way. The remaining boards were removed with less difficulty. To Nancy's joy, the window was unlocked. Pushing it up, she peered into the living room. It was dark, and she could see nothing. Well, here's for it, she decided fatalistically. Halfway through the window, she hesitated without knowing why she did it. Nervously, she glanced back over her shoulder. A queer sensation passed over her, leaving her a trifle frightened. She felt exactly as though someone were following her. "'How silly!' she scolded herself. Nevertheless, she turned searching eyes toward the forest. So far as she could see, there was no one in sight. Nancy listened intently. All that she heard was the whispering of the wind in the maple trees. "'Nerves,' she decided firmly. "'Jacob Aborn won't bother me tonight. He's probably asleep at this moment.' She swung herself through the window and switched on her flashlight. She stood in the living room, or so she judged it to be, for it was bare of furniture. Nothing here, Nancy told herself. Hastily, she moved toward the next room. Her light was gradually growing dimmer, and she knew that she must work quickly, unless she wished to be left in total darkness. She entered a smaller room. Flashing the beam of her light over the walls and floor, she was disappointed to find nothing of interest. Nancy was sorely perplexed. In visiting the deserted bungalow, she had played a hunch, and now it seemed that she had made a mistake. I haven't seen it all yet, she encouraged herself. Then her light revealed a small door, and she moved curiously over toward it. Halfway across the room, An unusual sound arrested her attention. Had she heard a board creak behind her, or was it only imagination? After hesitating a second, Nancy Drew again started toward the door. As she reached out to grasp the knob, her body became tense. This time there was no mistake. She heard a peculiar sound which seemed to come from the floor. It sounded like a groan, was the thought which flashed through her mind. Was it possible that someone was imprisoned in the cellar? The fear that some person was in distress gave her the courage to open the door. As it swung back, she saw before her a long flight of stone stairs leading down into darkness. A gust of cold, musty air struck her in the face, and momentarily repulsed her. Nancy glanced nervously at her flashlight. She told herself that the battery could not last much longer. Already the light was so dim that she could barely see the steps in front of her. Should she investigate the cellar? She had no idea what it might reveal, and the thought of being caught below without a light sent a cold shiver over her. Yet, Nancy felt that she was about to stumble upon the real secret of the old bungalow, and the thrill of anticipated victory urged her forward. Cautiously, she descended the steps, one at a time. She came to a sharp turn and peered anxiously down into the black abyss. To her horror, she saw a man stretched out full length upon a bench directly below her. His face was turned upward, and Nancy caught a full glimpse of the countenance. It was Jacob Aborn! Chapter 15 A Familiar Face For an instant, Nancy Drew was spellbound. Her eyes dilated with fear. She stood like a stone image, gazing down into the face of Jacob Aborn. How had the rascal reached the bungalow ahead of her? What was he doing in the cellar? A dozen questions flashed through her mind, but the one which troubled her the most was whether or not the man had seen her. As Nancy was held in a paralysis of fear, the light in her flashlight flickered again. Then it went out, leaving her in total darkness. Sheer panic took possession of Nancy. Turning, she gave a low cry and stumbled up the stairway. Jerking open the door at the top, she ran through the room. Her flight was abruptly checked as she crashed into a table. Reaching out to catch herself from falling, Nancy's hand touched an object. Eagerly, she felt of it and discovered that it was a lantern. Snatching it up, she stumbled on. Coming to a door, she pulled it open. To her chagrin, she ran into a wall. She had entered a closet. Frantically, she rushed out again and found another door to the left. She made no mistake this time, and to her relief, found herself in the living room. In desperate haste, she reached the window and, climbing through, leapt to the porch. Fully expecting to hear a shot behind her, she ran as fast as she could across the clearing to the forest. Breathless. She reached the shelter of the trees and paused to look back. To her astonishment, she was not being followed. Jacob Aborn was nowhere in sight. The old bungalow appeared as deserted and silent as before. That's queer, she told herself. Perhaps he didn't see me after all. A moment's serious consideration convinced her that this reasoning was not logical for she had made a great deal of noise clattering up the steps. It was inconceivable that he had not heard her when she stumbled into the table, nearly overturning it. "'I don't believe I imagined it,' she thought in perplexity. "'I'm sure it was Jacob Aborn I saw in that cellar. But how did he get here ahead of me?' She gravely reflected for a minute. "'Laura's guardian,' "'had retired to his bedroom before she had slipped from the house. "'Presumably she had left him sound asleep. "'How could he have dressed and reached the bungalow so quickly? "'I wonder if it could have been Jacob Aborn,' she mused. "'After I left his house, I didn't waste a minute. "'I came directly here in the roadster. "'He couldn't have beaten me unless he flew.' "'For several minutes,' Nancy Drew stood in the shadows of the trees, watching the bungalow. After considerable time had elapsed, and still no one appeared, she began to grow curious as well as impatient. I know there was someone in that cellar, she assured herself, and I'd like to find out who it is. If I only had a light, I'd be tempted to go back. As the daring thought occurred to her, She glanced down and noticed that she was still clutching the lantern which she had snatched from the table as she ran. She had picked it up purely on impulse, without thinking that she might use it later. Now she decided that it would serve a useful purpose. There was only one drawback. It was not lighted. A lot of good it will do me without a match, she murmured in disgust. As she stood staring gloomily at the lantern, She feared that she must admit defeat. Brave as she was, she hesitated to return to the bungalow without a light to guide her. If only she had brought an extra flashlight battery with her, or her father's revolver. I wouldn't be afraid if I had some way to protect myself, she told herself, or if I could see where I was going. As she stood gazing moodily at the old deserted house, a thought came to her. Eagerly, she began to search through her pockets. To her delight, after thrusting her hand into the last pocket, she brought out a small box of matches. She had used the matches while in camp at Moon Lake, keeping them in a waterproof container for an emergency. She had carelessly left them in her dress pocket, and upon returning home, had forgotten all about them. For once, her negligence had been to her advantage. Hastily opening the box, she found several matches left. Examining the lantern, she was encouraged to discover that it was nearly full of oil. Striking a match upon a stone, she applied it to the wick. Before the wick ignited, a mischievous gust of wind extinguished the flame. Nancy tried again, and to her disgust, the second match met a similar fate. In alarm, she felt in the box, there was only one match left. If she failed in her next attempt, she would be without a light. Stepping back into the forest, so that the wind would not strike her, she hopefully struck the last match. As the flame spurted up, she applied it to the lantern, and was gratified to see it ignite the wick. I'd better cover the lantern while I cross the clearing, She advised herself. I don't want to make myself a gun target. Stripping off her sweater, she wrapped it around the lantern and then set off toward the bungalow. As she stole cautiously forward, she frequently paused to listen. No unusual sound disturbed the tranquillity of the night. The old bungalow was as quiet as a tomb. The queer place looked unusually queer at this hour of the night and it was no wonder that Nancy paused as she gazed upon it. "'There's some terrible mystery here, I'm sure of it,' she breathed to herself. "'I've got to be careful. I don't want to be caught napping.' The girl looked around her in all directions. No one was in sight, and not a sound disturbed the silence. For one brief instant as she drew closer to the building, Nancy had an inclination to turn and flee. Then she braced herself. "'I won't do it,' she told herself. "'I came here to find out what all this means, and I'm going to do it. "'Nancy Drew, don't be a goose. "'This isn't half as bad as things were at the Turnbull Mansion. "'And remember what you went through to get the old clock.' And she braced up once more. After a slight hesitation, Nancy Drew crept up on the porch. For the second time that evening— she experienced an uneasy sensation. It was not so much the fear that she was running into danger as it was a feeling that she was being followed. Boldly, she thrust her head and shoulders through the window. Nothing but an oppressive silence greeted her. Have I been dreaming? Nancy thought in perplexity. Is it possible there is no one in the bungalow after all? Somewhat impatient at herself, She placed the lantern upon the floor and climbed through the window. Picking up the light, she flashed it about the room. Reassured, she tiptoed forward. A board creaked underfoot, and she paused nervously. Then from below, she heard a peculiar noise. It sounded like a moan of pain. Startled, Nancy Drew held herself rigid scarcely daring to move a muscle as she listened she heard the sound again this time she knew there was no mistake someone had groaned oh what shall i do she asked herself nervously who can that be at that moment a pitiful cry arose from the floor below help nancy opened her lips but no sound issued forth She tried again and scarcely recognized her own voice. Who's there? she demanded shakily. The only response was another feeble call. Help! Help! The cry echoed through the deserted bungalow, ending in a plaintive wail. Then the house became silent. Chapter 16 What Nancy Discovered When Nancy Drew heard the cry for help, she no longer considered her own safety. The thought that someone might be in pain drove her to action. Summoning all her courage, she hurried to the cellar door and opened it. Reaching the first landing, she stood listening quietly. The scratchy rustling of a mouse in a wall nearby caused her to catch her breath. Why, it's only a mouse, she told herself. I am certainly not going to let that scare me. Nevertheless, she came to a standstill and did not attempt to move again until the sounds made by the mouse had died away entirely. Then she braced herself once more. She took a step forward, holding the lantern before her. Cautiously, she crept down the first step and then paused again, She wondered what awaited her in the depths of the dark cellar below. Then there came to her ears a faint, metallic clank. It seemed to proceed from below, and she was at a loss to understand what it could have been. There it was again. But this time, it came as a series of metallic sounds. And Nancy realized that she was listening to the clanking of chains. Was it possible that someone was confined below in fetters? she asked herself. Then another thought came to her. Perhaps a vicious dog was chained in the cellar, ready to throw itself upon any intruder. Almost at once, Nancy dismissed the fear. If it were a dog, she told herself, it would have growled at her first approach. Thus reassured, she held the lantern before her, And slowly descended the stairs, peering anxiously into the murky darkness. Turning the light upon the spot where she had seen the man on her previous excursion into the cellar, she beheld a disheveled human being lying on a bench against the side of the stone wall. Nancy started backward, and the lantern wavered in her hand. She was almost sure that the man before her was Jacob Ayborn. Tempted to run away, she overcame the impulse, and again peered critically down at the white face, which was turned toward her. It isn't Jacob Aborn, she decided, but there is a startling resemblance. No longer afraid, Nancy Drew rapidly descended the stairs to the cellar. With a cry of pity, she ran toward the man who lay so quiet and still on the bench. In reality, the cellar was a dungeon, for the walls were of solid stone, and there were no windows. Not a ray of light filtered into the horrible place. The room was damp and musty, and as she accidentally brushed against a wall, it felt clammy and cold to the touch. A heavy chain was fastened to the wall above the bench. To Nancy's horror, the end of the chain was attached to the prisoner in such a way that it allowed him some freedom of motion, and yet held him a captive. "'Oh!' Nancy cried, as she gazed upon the imprisoned man. The prisoner did not stir. He lay perfectly still upon the bench. "'Oh, he can't be dead!' Nancy whispered fearfully. Dropping down on her knees, she felt the man's pulse. It was faint, but regular. "'He's just unconscious,' she thought in relief." The strain of realizing help was near must have been too much for him. She fell to work chafing his wrists, and for the first time noticed the cruel crimson marks which had been caused by the chains. "'I wonder what fiend is responsible for this?' she asked herself angrily. Now that she gazed directly into the man's face, she wondered how she could have mistaken him for Jacob Aborn. "'To be sure,' The men were of the same build, although the prisoner appeared gaunt and thin, as though he had not been properly fed during his captivity. Their features were similar also, but while Jacob Aborn's face was characterized by harsh lines, this prisoner had a gentle, kind expression. Nancy Drew did not further concern herself with the man's appearance, for she was alarmed that he did not recover consciousness. I must do something, she thought desperately. Perhaps I can find some water. Catching up the lantern, she mounted the stairs two at a time. Reaching the kitchen, she was overjoyed to see a pump at the sink. After a search through the cupboards, she at last found a leaky tin vessel which would serve her purpose. Quickly filling it, she rushed back to the cellar. Wetting her handkerchief, She applied it gently to the prisoner's forehead. When he did not revive, she sprinkled a little of the water on his face. The man stirred slightly and moaned. Encouraged, Nancy again soaked her handkerchief and applied it to his head. She saw that he was regaining consciousness. Then the prisoner's body twitched violently, and his eyes fluttered open. Help, he called feebly. Nancy saw that the man was delirious. Help has come, she said gently. Don't try to struggle. You're in the hands of a friend. Friend? the man asked stupidly. As he attempted to raise himself to a sitting position, Nancy helped him. Didn't think help ever come, he murmured weakly. His eyes, which were bright with fever, fastened upon the pan Nancy held in her hand. Water, he begged thickly. Nancy handed over the basin with alacrity, and the man drank greedily. First, I've had to drink in twenty-four hours, he said more steadily. He stared at Nancy as though he had not seen her before. How did you get here, he demanded. I heard your cries for help. Oh, yes, I remember now. I heard someone coming, and I called out that was the last I remembered. Who are you? Nancy questioned. Why are you in chains? A bitter expression passed over the prisoner's face. I'm here through the trickery of Stumpy Dowd, a notorious criminal. And your name? Nancy gasped. Jacob Aborn. Jacob Aborn, she echoed. Then, that rascal Stumpy Dowd is impersonating me. Jacob Aborn finished for her. I don't understand. I don't wonder at that, miss. He groped for a name. Drew, Nancy supplied. I'm only beginning to comprehend the trick that was played on me by that scamp. And poor Laura, heaven knows where she is at this moment. She's safe. I left her at my home in River Heights. I'm thankful for that. It nearly killed me to think she might be in the hands of that crook. Tell me the entire story, Nancy begged. What do you know about Stumpy Dowd? I know enough to send him to prison for the rest of his life. He's a fraud. This isn't the first deal he's been mixed up in. He's trying to get his hands on Laurel Pendleton's fortune. I'm afraid he has everything by this time. How did Stumpy get you here? Nancy questioned. One night, about two weeks ago, he came to my house, the bungalow on the lake, on the pretense of seeing me about a business matter. Then you own that house that Stumpy is living in? Nancy interrupted. Yes, I thought it would make a nice home for Lara. Well, Stumpy came to my house to see me, and as soon as he began to ask questions about the Pendleton estate, I was suspicious. Finally, I ordered him from the house he drew a gun on me. And there was no one to help you? No. I had intended to leave for Moon Lake the following day and had given the servants a vacation. I was alone in the house. I put up a fight, but when I was semi-conscious from a blow on the head, that scoundrel forced me into this deserted bungalow. You haven't been here for two weeks. Jacob Aborn nodded grimly. Two long weeks. I've nearly gone mad. Chained to this bench like a felon. With a despairing gesture, he lifted his arms, and his fetters clanked against the floor. How horrible! Stumpy Doubt is a fiend. Not content with chaining me here? He's half starved me. If you hadn't come, I couldn't have stood it many more days. Only the thought of Lara has kept me alive. You say she's safe? Yes. She ran away from Stumpy. Her property? What has become of it? I don't know, Nancy was forced to admit. She brought nothing with her except some of her mother's jewels. Then Stumpy Dowd must have his hand on every dollar of the fortune, the man groaned. A rich haul it'll make, too. Lara is wealthy? Yes. Her mother left her a sufficient fortune. I can't understand why Stumpy remained near here after he secured the property, Nancy commented. There are two reasons. First, nearly all of Laura's property was tied up in stocks and bonds, gilt edged, of course. Stumpy was forced to impersonate me long enough to convert the securities into cash. At least, that's what I suspect. Nancy nodded thoughtfully. And the second reason. I've led him to believe that he hasn't secured all of Lara's property. Stumpy is greedy, and it's his nature to get his hands on everything. He's tried to force me to tell what became of the remaining securities. You wouldn't tell? I couldn't if I'd wished. Then he has everything in his possession now, has he? Everything except the jewels. How can I ever face Lara again? "'Don't think about that,' Nancy returned quickly. "'It wasn't your fault. "'Stumpy Doubt is a very clever crook, "'but he won't get away this time.' "'Is he still at Melrose Lake?' "'Jacob Aborn asked eagerly. "'If we could only capture him.' "'Rest assured we will, "'but we must work quickly. "'I happen to know that he's planning his escape. "'I think he intends to get away tomorrow.' He has Laura's money in the safe. Then if we can set the police on him tonight, we'll save the fortune. Exactly. But first we must get away from here. With troubled eyes, Nancy Drew gazed at the chain, which held Laura Pendleton's guardian a prisoner. If only I can break the chain. That isn't necessary. I know where Stumpy keeps the key to the padlock. Where? hanging on a hook in the stairway. I'll get it, Nancy cried eagerly. Turning, she hastened toward the stairs. Had she not been quite so intent upon setting Jacob Aborn free, she might have heard a peculiar rustling sound from the direction of the kitchen. Oblivious of possible danger, she rushed up the steps two at a time. In her haste, she had forgotten the lantern, and was forced to return for it. Snatching it up from the floor, she again started toward the stairs, turning her head to call back an encouragement to the prisoner. We'll soon have you out of here, Mr. Aborn. Hurry, the man urged. We've waited too long now. Nancy was of the same opinion, for she realized that they must work swiftly if they were to prevent Stumpy's escape. Already it must be long past midnight, and at dawn he would probably leave. Anxiously, she moved the lantern up and down, illuminating the dingy walls of the staircase. Just above her head to the left, she saw the hook for which she was searching. The precious key dangled from it. Snatching it up, she turned and ran down the steps. You found it? Jacob Aborn demanded anxiously. Yes, here it is, Nancy held up the object. I'll have you free in another minute. Dropping down upon her knees before the bench, she began to work frantically at the padlock. Mr. Aborn watched her hopefully. So engrossed were they both that they failed to notice a dark figure creeping slowly down the staircase. Nearer and nearer he came, and ugly revolver gripped tightly in his right hand. Suddenly, Jacob Aborn glanced up, and a look of horror froze upon his face. Look out, he shouted. This is your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to The Bungalow Mystery. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.